Has anyone here made a New Year's resolution? I'm not gonna, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you what it is. But just, just out of interest, has anyone here made a New Year's resolution? Okay, right. Because according to YouGov, just over one in five Britons has revealed that they are making a New Year's resolution. That's this 21%, which is up from 14% last year. Although I suspect the last couple of years, people have just had enough on their plate trying to get through winter and staying alive without actually adding any extra pressure to their lives. But, but it's most common, apparently, well, women are more common, more likely to do it than men, but it's most common amongst the young. So, yeah, you're, you're made one, you're, you're up there with the kids. Yeah, 18 to 24 year olds, over 40% of them have made a resolution, and then it sort of goes down and down. So the people over 55 who have probably got a bit cynical and part of that. But the most common resolutions, what do you reckon are the most common ones? Getting fitter. Getting fitter, yeah. Lose weight. Lose weight, yeah. Anything else? Forward slide. Forward slide. Forward slide, right, okay, yeah. Well, according to all Britons, doing more exercise or improving their fitness is the is top of the list. <laughs> Losing weight is the second one. Improving their diets up there as well. Saving more money. I don't quite know how, how people are going to do that this year, but never mind. Then there's a long drop off to the next lot, which is pursuing a career ambition, taking up a new hobby, decorating or renovating part of their home, spending more time with their family and less time on social media. Of course, Making resolutions is one thing, keeping them is another. And what proportion of people who made New Year's resolutions in 2022, what proportion of them do you think kept them? 2%. 2 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%
I may not be their target. I think there is probably more chance of me becoming Pope than there is of me trying to be January. I try to avoid making too big a deal of New Year's resolution type thing in church. Uh, you know, I don't believe in faith, it's just pulling your socks up kind. I, I, I try to go easy on the do more, try harder, be better type sermons, particularly in January, when people sort of got that on their mind. Not necessarily because there's anything wrong with it as such, or not to be gained by it. It's just that in my experience, the people those type of sermons land with are often those who are already trying really, really hard and don't need another guilt trip landed on them. But over the next few weeks, I want to turn the idea on its head a bit. And I want to think about God's resolutions. Well, any resolutions isn't quite the word commitments. Or the Bible has another word for them. Covenants. It's, it's not a word we use a lot today, although as a local church, we are actually directly involved in a couple of legal ones that I know of, limiting what the office space next door can be used for without a permission, or one which states that the land on which the tennis club sits should be a sports ground in perpetuity. But Colin is very much at the heart of what it means to be Baptist. People who know more about this sort of stuff than me tell me that Baptists are not a denomination as such. We are more a looser association of interdependent church communities bound together by a covenant. Yes. <coughs> when we're baptized or received into membership, we make a number of commitments or promises. Same when a minister is inducted. I was inducted here nine years ago. I made a series of promises. When I was ordained, nearly 15 years, nearly 15 years ago, I made promises to the wider Baptist family. And all of those are officially understood in terms of covenant. They involve three parties, the individual, the community, God. But when the Bible uses the term, there's something deeper to it. Because they are not simply mutual agreements between individuals. One party is sovereign and tells you what the term is going to be. And that's normally God. And I say normally because there are types of, there are examples of these types of relationship in the ancient world outside the Bible. Great powers like the Assyrians would enter into covenants with other countries once they'd conquered them. It was generally, we'll look after you, or else. <laughs> Old Testament scholars have shown how covenants that God makes with people in Israel, of Israel in the Old Testament often follow the pattern of those international covenants. They even use similar types of language, such as love, and hate. They don't necessarily mean how the lesser party feels about the greater. I doubt there were many people in conquered Samaria who felt particularly loving towards Assyria and Sennacherib. It was whatever superpower happened to be bleeding them dry. But it had more to do with how they behaved. 
To love someone was to obey the terms of their covenant, and there were benefits that accrued from that, and to hate them was to break the covenant. And that there would be consequences of that breaking. However, what is interesting is that outside Israel, there are no examples of God's entering into covenants with their people. Our scriptures are unique in that regard, for reasons as we'll see as we progress. There are five key covenants which we're going to look at over the next few weeks. One is the one today we look at Noah, then there's one with Abraham, there's one with Moses or Israel, there's one with David, and then in Jeremiah there it points towards a new covenant. And at the start of Luke, you know, they, they, they actually underpin, or go right through the Old Testament, but they actually underpin the New Testament as well. At the start of Luke, Zechariah says, Praise me to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has captured his people to show mercy to his, our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Or if you go to the opposite end of the gospel, Luke's gospel, Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. It's also kind of worth pointing out how they relate to one another. None of them kind of replace the one that goes before it. They build on each other. They supplement each other rather than, they don't rather than replace or supplant. Some of the details might vary, progress might be noted, but they are de but the developing of a single relationship with a single aim that calls out people to be God's people and to whom he will be their God and will make his home amongst them. And they reach their climax in Jesus. But over the next few weeks we'll consider these covenants.